Welcome back, everyone. It's good to be back with our Equipping Hour series. This is week two out of four on our series on meeting with God. And uh, so let me open us in prayer. And uh, you probably all got handouts. You probably all know about that. But just a little reminder, we've got those in the back on the way in in case you didn't get one. Uh, Let's open in prayer. Father God, we thank you for gathering us once again this morning as Christ's people. We thank you for the grace and the power and the mercy that flows so freely to us in the gospel to save us and to give us your spirit to indwell us, to draw us near to you in worship, and that you've revealed so much of yourself and your saving plans that we would know you and that we would walk in joy in your ways as Christ's people. We pray that that would be the case in all of our gathering this morning and this evening with community groups, that Christ would be lifted up, that his word would uh, indwell us more and more richly, and that uh, we would be equipped to live lives full of faith and obedience that are pleasing to you. And specifically in the area of our engagement with scripture, we pray that uh, today's lesson would be really helpful for all of us, that you give me clarity, wisdom, and faithfulness in my speaking. Give us all a softness of heart and ears to hear you speaking in the word. And we pray that we would all be equipped to uh, more devotedly pursue you, and especially by means of listening to your word throughout our days. May it be a uh, means of our growth in Christ and our fruitfulness for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, last week when we started the series, uh, we introduced some kind of basic issues about meeting with God in general. So we saw that uh, there's really two ways we meet with God. And we're, we're talking about private worship, kind of, uh, which, is, which is as opposed to corporate worship when we gather. Uh, this is what we do when we scatter on our own. And two ways we meet with God. One is that He communicates with us, and that is the Bible. His Word is written in Scripture, and we hear Him talking to us as we engage with His Word in Scripture. The other way is that we talk back to God. We respond in prayer. And uh, all of this, both re- receiving, hearing from God in the Bible and speaking back to Him in prayer, is only a response to His initiating grace. Uh, we could never find our way to God if He hadn't made a way for us. And so we talked about the gospel, how God has revealed Himself both through salvation history, anticipating His Son, and then in the sending of His Son, the Word became flesh. And we have the pinnacle of God's self-disclosure in the incarnation of Jesus. And Jesus, of course, went to the cross and offered himself up as a sacrifice and as a high priest who makes our way to approach God's throne in prayer, finding it to be a throne of grace, assured of his mercy as our good father. And he's also done more than that, not only given us a mediator to make our way to him, but he's even given his very spirit to indwell us, to impel from the heart, to move us from the heart toward him in worship too. We wouldn't even want to hear from him in his word. We wouldn't want to seek him in prayer if it weren't for him working in us through the Holy Spirit, giving us that new life. And then so we laid those, that foundation and then we started looking at the first of five ways that we interact with scripture, that we uh, engage with scripture. Can anyone remember, let me, let me just, let me ask this, which was the one we talked about last week? The one way of interacting with scripture that we learned about last week. Hearing. Hearing. Okay, good. Some of you heard it. <laughs> um, there are there are four others. Now, this is a real hard one. Do, who remembers the four that we didn't cover yet? We talked about, we mentioned five. We covered hearing. What are the other four? 
And don't look in your hand out. If you already looked in your hand out, you can't answer the question. Reading? Mm -hmm. Meditating? Meditating, yep. Singing in there? Uh, no, but uh, that's a good one. I mean, yeah, singing, yeah. That could be another aspect of this whole series, but no. It's, it's kind of like prayer. Kind of, no. So, what was that? Memorizing? Yeah, yeah, memorizing. And one more. It's going to be studying. So we have hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, meditating. So today we're going to cover the rest of those, the, the last four that we didn't cover last week. And then with the final two weeks of the series, Jason's going to lead us with um, some consideration of prayer. So today, we're just going to walk through each of these four, reading scripture, studying scripture, memorizing it, and meditating on it. So as we start by looking at reading scripture, we're going to look first at kind of a bit of historical background on this, and then the biblical, some biblical thoughts on reading scripture, and then some practical aspects. We want to be very practical in all the things that we cover here. Um, so first of all, historical, I mentioned last week that um, Bible reading, personal private Bible reading is a fairly recent thing that that's available for any Christian to do. Most of church history, that has not been an option for most Christians. Um, before the modern era, Christians could really only hear scripture if they heard it read publicly, like in, in a church gathering, right? and then preached would be the idea as well. But two important historical developments that changed this were the invention of the printing press in the 15th century that made uh, publication and dissemination of books just, it was a game changer, right? Books were just for rich people that had a lot of disposable income. And after the printing press, it just became much more of a it democratized books. It was like pretty much a normal person could, could buy books. That was a huge new thing. And then uh, in the 16th century, um, there was a real outbreak with the Protestant Reformation of vernacular Bible translations. Vernacular just meaning the language that people actually speak. Uh, the, the, the Bible was just bound up in a Latin translation called the Vulgate. That, that was kind of the medieval church's go-to Bible translation. And starting in the 16th century, there started being uh, a lot of vernacular Bible translations. So Martin Luther um, translated the Bible into German in, the, I think, the early 1520s, which is fairly early in the, the, the Reformation there in Germany. And uh, Luther's ideas inspired uh, an Englishman named William Tyndale. All of us who love reading the Bible in English should know this name. Uh, he Both, both in, in Luther's theology and in the idea of translating the Bible into the vernacular, Luther was a big influence on Tyndale. And uh, Tyndale famously described his vision that um, even the boy that drives the plow would be well-versed in the scriptures. This was a radical thing that the Reformation brought about, that the Bible wasn't just... Uh, kind of kept from the people in the hands of clergy. Um, and it turned out that this this translation of the Bible into vernacular, and we can see God's providence, this happening right on the, you know, within, I don't know how many years, but within just maybe a couple generations of the invention of the printing press, this is a powerful one-two punch in terms of getting God's word much more distributed into people's hands. And it turned out to be a really powerful engine of the Reformation. Um, so Tyndale uh, translated the New Testament and part of the Old Testament before persecution caught up with him, and he was actually martyred. He was killed for his activities. And, uh, but in God's kind providence, there's a lot of good fruit that came of it. First of all, uh, even in his day, it, his translation activity had a lot to do with sparking the English Reformation. There's a historian uh, who's, who writes that 
quote, uh, penetration of reformed ideas, reformation ideas, was small scale in England until a sudden burst of enthusiastic activity inspired by the arrival of the first English printed New Testaments. So that's really what kind of kicked, blew the doors open with the English Reformation was the English Bible getting into people's hands. Um, and even more than that, it wasn't just that in that generation it had an impact, but Tyndale's Bible became the basis for pretty much every Bible translation in English for, for centuries to come, well into the 20th century. Pretty much there's this translational tradition. The King James picked up on a lot of Tyndale's translation and so on. And so Tyndale's way of putting things in English uh, is still felt in the way that we read the Bible in English today. So, um, yeah, so the spread and the fruitfulness of the gospel there in, in the Reformation era had a lot to do with this sudden increase in the availability of Scripture in people's own spoken language in uh, a format that they could afford to, uh, to obtain. So there's a bit of history to give us some appreciation for something that we, we could get Bibles for almost nothing. I mean, we can even get one online for free. I mean, we can read it online for free. Uh, you can get a print Bible for for almost nothing. It's, it's a trivial matter, the idea of having a Bible or being able to have a Bible, but it wasn't always so. So, Wesley, is that a question? Uh, yeah, the, the things you said, the printing press and Reformation, absolutely. But they were still for the elite 5% of the population. It wasn't until the early 19th century with public education. Literacy. That, yeah, mm. literacy. were actually able to have everybody's Yeah. That's a good point. So it wasn't until a lot later that another major factor was public education and literacy rates ballooning. Uh, because, yeah, that, that it was probably a, a still a, a much bigger segment that could than just the clergy before, but you're right, still a relatively small portion of the population that was even able to read. Um, so, yeah, that's a very good point. So moving into kind of, well, what does the Bible say about reading the Bible privately on our own in, in private worship? And the answer is, I kind of talked about this last week, doesn't really say much, doesn't say anything about reading in private because, again, um, in the biblical era, this wasn't really an option. People didn't have the availability of Bibles in their homes. And, again, kind of to Wesley's point, literacy rates are probably lower than they are uh, in our society. But God does present us a vision for a biblically saturated life. And I'm going to have us reread something we read last week. Would someone be willing to read Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3? This is kind of going to be the passage that guides our whole discussion today. Yeah, Matt Boyd. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sin, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Like a tree, planted by trees and water, that yields the trees and its season, and its leaves not wither. In all that he does, Thank you. So what specific way of our kind of grid of five ways what specific way of engaging with Scripture is mentioned in this, this text? Meditating. Yeah, meditating day and night. This is the secret sauce for this guy. This is why his roots are so deep and why he's able to flourish in all kinds of situations and avoid the evil uh, of those around him. And we're going to get to meditation at the end of today's lesson. Uh, it, when the psalm was written, the hypothetical Israelite would have heard the reading in the, maybe the temple or the synagogue. And then he would have gone, gone on with his week and he would have had to take what he heard read and explained and there was probably some kind of teaching and preaching function and go on and kind of chew on it and meditate on it throughout his week or her week. Uh, 
But now, so we want to be careful not to say, uh, thus says the Lord, read your Bible every day. Okay, I can't point you to a text of scripture that says that. But let me ask you this. Now that we have Bibles available, and given this vision that the Lord gives us of lives devoted to his word, day and night, how could we not read it regularly? It seems, it seems like a given that if, if we're pursuing this Psalm 1 vision and God changes the technology and allows us to own a Bible, that we would say, great, I'm going to read this all the time. <laughs> I'm going to read this regularly. Uh, the guy in Psalm 1, can you imagine how he would react if, if, if he could live in our day and have like 10 Bibles on his shelf of all these different translations or just a, just a swipe of a finger on his phone? So, if you, know, if you call yourself a swimmer, and you have a pool in your backyard and you never use it, we might question your devotion to swimming. <laughs> and uh, if, if, you, if, if we're striving to, by God's grace, to be the kind of person that he says is the truly blessed and happy one, and we have Bibles on our shelves and we're not regularly reading them, um, I think we're open to, it's open to question whether we're really pursuing that picture that God's given us. And uh, remember the... The, the, when Jesus responds to Satan's temptation in Matthew 4. Would someone read Matthew 4, 4? And most of us are certainly familiar with this context. Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And uh, the first temptation was that he turned stones into bread. And famously, Jesus responds to every one of the three temptations with a quote from the law showing why Satan is misguided and leading him astray. So would someone read Matthew 4, 4? Yeah, Jason. It is, but he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Thank you. So man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now again, this is not an prescri- explicit prescription for daily Bible reading. But in the, the context, what Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, which God is, is drawing a connection between the daily manna that he provided uh, to his people in the wilderness and the word that they are to feed on spiritually. And so there's this picture we get kind of of, of daily supply, right? And he was, it's like your bread. It's like the manna I leave on the, on the ground every morning. And he's saying, this is a picture to show you that man lives on the word of God. Man and woman, child, live on the word of God spiritually. So again, there's a suggestion that there should be some kind of daily um, intake, some kind of daily uh, engagement now, someone might ask, well, we talked about listening last week, and this is a, maybe a discussion question for you all to weigh in. Um, we talked about people who are in life situations where reading is hard. They're not really, don't have a lot of good opportunities to do a lot of reading, but they can listen. Maybe they have a really long commute, or they're a mother with really little kids. Um, what, if, what would you say to the question if someone might ask, can't I just listen every day and, and never read the Bible? I'm not much of a reader. What if I just listen every day instead of reading? Any thoughts? I have see, some head, see some heads nodding. Okay. Would we say, okay, yeah, let's get more than heads nodding or shaking. I appreciate that answer. So I see Patty there. Yeah. It's hard Elaborate. to meditate on words that you hear. Okay. Stop hearing and stop reading. Okay. So, so right, it's harder to meditate on words you're hearing than reading because when you read in something catches you can just stop and just look at it and reading it's kind of goes yeah okay so there may be um a decreased there may be reading may afford us an increased opportunity to kind of stop and be hit by something 
and kind of in the moment start meditating on it. Maybe a little bit better opportunity than hearing. Yeah, uh, I saw others. What? Yeah, yeah. Others. I mean, others may say, yeah, I, this is going to be very individual kind of question we answer, right? But that's a good point. That's a good factor. This is a wisdom call. This is not a dogmatic thing. I saw John was out of hand, and then and then Zach. Um, I was going to say you can also listen to the same thing more than once. Yeah. So I know typically when we think about listening, we're listening to a section and then a different section the next day. But mm-hmm. You can also benefit from listening to the same section multiple times in a short period. Of time yeah. Yeah, so listening repeatedly might help mitigate that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Zach? Yeah, I think part of what's tough is a lot of the examples we're talking about involve listening while doing something else. Mm-hmm. And that could be as simple as just listening while, like, even while driving. You're mm-hmm. still engaged with something else in your mind. So, mm-hmm. like, like Mrs. Nevin said. Um, You're old enough, Zach. Uh, it was... Sorry, yeah, like she said, it's, it's hard to meditate, particularly because I think there's just, you open yourself up to so many more distractions yeah. when you're listening. Right, right. So one of the trade-offs, right, there's, there's a lot of benefits to the Bible everywhere all the time. I mean, we can listen to it all the time. We can read it every day. But the trade-offs we're making is there can be an increased quantity that might start decreasing quality. So just to, to weigh those things out. Um, I would think, I'm glad we can interact with scripture the other six days of the week, but I would think that if we couldn't, we might listen more carefully on Sunday. We would probably have longer readings. They probably had really long readings. And we would probably be like, I got to hear this and like really think about it. So just to think through trade-offs. Again, I'm not wishing for those days for that to be the case. But we might be in danger if, if we're just ballooning in quantity that there, there might be a decrease in attentiveness. To, yeah, Jason. So uh, hearing it might be better for memorization. Reading might be more conducive to study. Yeah, it would be hard to. Yeah, and some of these, it's helpful to think through the interrelations between the, these five, right? Like what you're saying, Jason, is some of these may feed into others more easily than than others do. So yeah, good good considerations. None of this, you know. I hope, like we said last week, if all if you're in a life situation where all you can do is listen, do it. Listen, like we're. We're trying to lay out these five as saying these are all good and probably something of a balanced diet and, and pursuing diverse, diversification here like a good kind of investment portfolio. Probably wise. But the point is get God's word in your life. If if you're in a place where all you can do is listen, fine. Don't feel guilty. Just do it. <laughs> just listen, right? Yeah, uh, Danny. And don't throw the default book that when you're listening, you can't really look at the bigger picture. Mm. When you're reading Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so seeing it on a page actually gives a visual of the context and you can like quickly reference something that happened. Oh, what, what was said a chapter ago? That kind of rings a bell. That kind of stuff you can much more easily do on a page uh, unless you're hearing it and you know it really well and you can remember kind of in your head that stuff. Yeah, Annalie. Listening and take away the format that has been 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Very good. So there's some uh, there's some visual clutter that we're fighting through that listening is excuse right. We just get rid of all the the headings and all the stuff that can we can just hear the text kind of in a bare form that can be helpful. Now there. Are, Bible's formatted to help with that too, but it's it's a very good point, Ellie, that it can it can help distract, it can help remove some of the stuff that's helpful for referencing, but not as helpful for hearing the flow of the argument or what's being said. Yeah, Wesley, I'll have the last word on this one, and then we'll kind of keep going. Yeah, this is probably a question that's going to go for a later time with a longer explanation, but I just want to plant the seed for this right now. Um, if, you know, back in, in, in the history with the Psalms and, and uh, Jesus' ministry. Of, in the Catholic Church when before the printing press and the Reformation when we we as Christians heard mostly from experts that were our uh, rabbis or Mm -hmm. priests and others were able to disseminate that Mm -hmm. information to us and they had the education they had the interpretation and they supposedly had the mind of God when they were telling that to Mm -hmm. us and then we can think about that stuff during the week. Is is there is there a danger? If, you know, and, and I kind of have to say, say of course we all want to be closer to Christ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But is there a danger for lay people mm-hmm. to to be studying the scriptures on our own and to come up with our own ideas and our own interpretations of what God's word is saying? That we are experts in this and. and God had a reason mm-hmm. thousands of years ago mm-hmm. to have people who were qualified experts right. to, to say that right. to people. So, you know, sometimes that's why we see so many different churches and so many different beliefs because everybody can interpret the scripture themselves. Yeah, no, that it is complicated, but you raise a really good point that I, I think we need to say. I, I think a, a good assessment of it is God's word is for everyone, and the more God's word can get into people's hands, hearts, and minds. Right, ordinary Christians, the better. But <laughs> there, there is like so many good things. There is a, a a new danger on the other side of it, and some of that. There, yeah, there is a teaching office in the New Testament uh, that the church needs people who are especially devoted to Scripture and maybe especially gifted in study and teaching. So the Reformation maybe has created in certain ways. An over maybe an overcorrection of sort of every every man with his Bible is sort of this autonomous interpreter. Interpretation is an activity for the church and not just for the individual Christian. So that's a yeah, that's just a good point. We can't go too deep into it, but but yeah, I would say it's overall it's very good. But individual Christians who are deeply embedded in a church that that has this, a right sense of of qualified teachers and things like that is is probably the most biblical and healthy vision. Um, we see in history, as in so many things, pendulum swinging one way or the other. But yeah, the Reformation did unleash some chaos, as the Roman Catholic critics of the Reformation predicted. They were right about some of that. Doesn't mean the whole project was was misguided. But um, anyway, let's move on. Good, good thoughts. I appreciate it all. Let's move on to some practical things about reading. Uh, the first is when should I read? I mean, this is all wisdom and prudence stuff at this point. Okay. 
I hope that's clear. We already said even reading on your own is a wisdom and prudence thing that seems like the Bible would recommend and suggest to us that we read on our own. When should I read? Well, uh, probably the, the wise thing is to just have some set-aside devoted time you can consistently read each day because if you don't, you just won't do it that much. I've had periods in my life where I thought, I'll just find a time to make it fit. If you've, if you've been in that mode, you've realized how often it does, doesn't fit. And um, most people, this is not, uh, this may not be the best for you. Most people, including me, find that earlier in the day we can do it, the better. Before we start getting pulled in all these different directions and it becomes harder and harder to make it work. And plus, it kind of helps you start your day with hearing from God and engaging with God, preparing you for the day. Um, How long should I read? Well, I would just say as much as you're able. Um, Quality matters more than quantity of time. So I would take 10 attentive minutes of reading over an hour of distracted, shallow reading. But uh, quantity is helpful too, right? So I would, first of all, I'd say be consistent. If you're trying to develop the habit, if you're out of the habit, even if you can read for five minutes or less, is better just to keep it going than to say, oh, I, I want to read half an hour a day and then like only three days a week we actually get to it. Forget that. Don't let, don't let that goal get in the way of just a faithful, consistent, you hear from God. And then as you grow in, in kind of the stability of that, that habit, you grow in maturity and just wanting to learn more, wanting to hear more from God, you're going to just increase that time. You're going to hear more from, from Scripture. So priorities, I would say, are first, consistency, second, quality, and third, quantity. And that would probably be the, uh, the good order of just what to prioritize and how much we read. What should I read? Again, not any real clear thing, but just have a plan. Have some kind of structured thing. If every day is just a, what am I going to read today? It's just mentally so burdensome, right? And so random. Uh, there's all kinds of plans. If you just Google Ligonier Bible reading plans, and I have it on in the back of your handout, search Ligonier Bible reading plans. The Ligonier Ministries, R.C. Sproul's old ministry, they put out a page, I think, every year of just a list of all these different plans they've compiled from. I mean, they don't, they're not from them. They, they compile them from other sources. And there's plans to get you through the whole Bible. There's plans to get you through parts of the Bible. I mean, you can, you can grab a book of the Bible and just read it over and over and over. And, and in some ways, it's kind of, you, you go really deep in, in depth with that whole book, but you can still see the whole view. Uh, all sorts of things. The point is, have a plan. And then finally, how should I read? Well, read, with first of all, with prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit. I'll read, uh, I'll read John 14, 26. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to help us understand and remember what he's said. He says, But the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Um, and I think there's an application immediately to the apostles as this would be the guys whose testimony would be the basis for the writing of the New Testament. But also there's an extended sense in which all believers who have the Holy Spirit have this uh, God himself, the third person of the Trinity, indwelling us and bringing to mind uh, and helping us to understand the things that God has said to us. So we need the Holy Spirit. Reading the Bible is a spiritual activity. It's not just an intellectual activity. We can't just... Uh, in any state of spiritual condition, we can't just open it up and learn from it. It, it it's a barometer in some ways of the condition of our loves. And if uh, if we're loving the world and we're loving sin, we're not going to get much out of our Bible reading. So it's always a, a, a need to go before God and, and ask Him to purify our hearts, 
to give us spiritual illumination. Um, <clears throat> so the first thing that we need, the first how is with prayerful dependence on the Spirit. And the second how is, I would say, and you're going to keep, this whole lesson we're going to keep talking about, this feeds meditation. So the second how is, try to take something that you read and think about it after you close your Bible. Okay, so try to like let there be some meditative payoff from what you read that morning as you go about uh, the rest of your day. So just just try to be thinking that way. Is there something that, gra- like Patty said, when you're reading it, it just grabs you? Grab it and ke- and take it, put it in your pocket. So that's that's for uh, reading. Um, let's talk about studying God's word. Okay, studying God's word. Um, now, studying is basically a slower and more thorough way of interacting with Scripture than reading. Uh, there, there's a lot of there's a lot we could say about how to study. I mean, it's a really uh, it's a skill that basically no one is done learning how to do. There's so much that could go into it, uh, and we'll only cover cover some of the basics today. If if you want maybe the next step deeper in how to study Scripture, a good resource. It's still a pretty accessible resource introductory level but it's a book length so you can definitely get more into the tools it's called digging or dig deeper by Baynon and sack and uh, you have that in the back of your handout too the name of it and the authors years ago we did equipping our uh, series on that book here uh, but it's it's just a good kind of set of tools for how to study scripture but let's talk here just in sort of an overview fashion about the value the needs and the method for studying scripture um, we, regarding value, we saw last week from, from Ezra, uh, from Nehemiah 8, we saw Ezra the priest reading, doing this public reading of scripture to God's people. It was sort of this act of rededication after their return from exile in Jerusalem. But one thing that the book of Ezra gives us is sort of a background to all this in Ezra's life is that he, the priest, had devoted himself to studying and teaching God's word. So um, would someone be willing to look up Ezra 7, verses 9 to 10. Oh yeah, Josh. For on, the first month, for on the first of the month he began to go up from Babylon, and on the first of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem, because the good hand of his God was upon him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Thank you. So the point of all this this time frame thing is that Ezra is going back from exile in Babylon to Jerusalem to minister to the re- returnees, and he made really good time. Why did he make such good time? Because the good hand of, of God was on him. God gave him favor and success. Why did God give him favor and success? For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So this is a really cool picture, right? He, his heart was devoted to the study. This is sort of outward radiant, radiation, right? To the study, the doing. So he's personally uh, affected rightly by the word. And then teaching. So he becomes a means of helping others know it. Um, now, Ezra had a special calling among the nation. He's a Levite and a priest. So the studying and teaching of the law was actually part of his official duty. This was something that we don't always hear a lot about. But the teaching of the law was part of what the priests were supposed to do in Israel. And uh, it's true in the New Covenant Church. This is kind of Wesley's point. Not everyone is called to study the Bible in the same way, in the same degree. Uh, We have some that are called to teach and preach, 
And uh, I would say those of us who have that calling, who have that, that office and, and role in the church, uh, really we're, we're obligated to be like Ezra, to imitate Ezra in terms of that life devoted to the study and obedience and teaching of, of God's word to others. And it would be an error and, and a, an inappropriate burden to tell every Christian, you, your life needs to be devoted to the careful study of God's word in the same way. Uh, but, again, thinking about this vision of a scripture-saturated life, what I would say is the study of scripture, some degree of study of scripture, is the privilege and opportunity of every Christian. And if our hearts are desiring to know God more deeply, and we have the Bible, and we have the, the means to study it, some degree of study would be a helpful means of growing in knowing God, knowing Christ, and being equipped to minister to others, uh, as well as feeding our own meditation. Again, there's that drumbeat of feeding into our own meditation of Scripture. Uh, what do we need? Well, there's all kinds of resources that we can use that can be really helpful that we're not going to talk about today. Uh, there's commentaries, historical background references, Greek and Hebrew uh, language tools. And these can be very helpful. I use them all the time. I highly recommend people use them who are doing kind of heavy-duty study. But those aren't really the essential tools. The most essential tools are you got to have a Bible, okay? And it's helpful to have a Bible that's understand, written and you know, translated in an understandable way to you. And it's really helpful to have maybe multiple translations so you can kind of compare and get a broader view of how they translate it. But you also need a heart that's like Ezra and even more that's like Jesus, that's turned to God in, in a hunger to know him in, in humility and prayerfulness. Uh, Matthew 5.8 tells us, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Of course, this applies to all the ways of interacting with Scripture. Uh, a heart that that is increasingly hating sin and loving, desiring to see God and know him. Um, that's what you need. Uh, and then that heart will generate... The other things you need, which is attentiveness, uh, patience, you know, these qualities of t- uh, carefulness that it takes to see what's there. Talking about method a little bit, a basic way of outlining the method is that we observe, we interpret, and we apply. So observing is just answering the question, what does it say? What does it say? So we ask the, a lot of questions of the text. We, we, we try to be really thorough and just pick through it with a fine-tooth comb. Who is speaking? Why does he say this? What are some repeated words or themes? What are contrasts between this thing and that thing in the text? What are causes and effects? Lists, all these sorts of things. Looking for everything that you can see in the text. Maybe you know, marking it up or making a note in your notebook about it. This is a very important step. Trying to notice everything that's there. And asking hard questions. Then the interpreting is to say, to go from what does it say to what does it mean? And it's only after having looked at it very carefully and noted all the detail that we can that we have to sort of draw our observations together and kind of say, what does it mean? And this could be, this could be where other resources could be helpful because there's probably going to be some questions. What's the historical background of weddings in Galilee in the first century? Or uh, geographic or historical things? Or uh, commentaries can help draw connections with other biblical texts. There's all sorts of ways that other resources can be helpful. But a few basic rules here are, I'll give you three. First is authorial intent. The point of interpreting is to understand what is the divine and human author's intention. What is, what is he, God, and he, uh, human author, trying to communicate? We can't just twist scripture into meaning whatever we want it to mean. 
Um, the second is that context rules. Interpretation of a given text is always bound by how that section fits within the broader text it's a part of. So how, if, you're tra- if you're trying to study a paragraph of scripture, well, how does that paragraph fit into the whole flow of argument or narrative or whatever that it's a part of? How does that fit into the book it's a part of, etc.? That will always clarify a lot. The better you know the whole the better you'll be able to just parachute into a section and be like, okay, I, I get a better sense of, of what, what the author's trying to say. And finally is rule of, the rule of faith, which just means that uh, Scripture is the voice of God. It speaks a unified message. So we always interpret a part of the Bible in view of the teaching of the whole Bible, which means um, if a text, especially if there's something kind of difficult or challenging about a given text, we, we want to bring to bear on that. Well, what does the rest of Scripture say? Uh, what is the broader teaching of Scripture? And what are what do the, maybe the clearer texts say? If there's, if there's maybe a question like, this text seems like it's kind of saying we're saved by our works. Well, there's like a mountain of other texts that say we're, that we're saved through faith alone and all this. So we say, well, that kind of rules that out, right? It's got to be saying something else. Um, so that the rule of faith is a very important interpretive principle. Finally, as we apply, what we're asking, so we ask, what does it say? That was observing. What does it mean? That's interpreting. And finally, applying is to ask, what should I believe or do in obedience to this text? So God's word is always supposed to do things in our lives. It's always supposed to shape us. Uh, it contains some direct commands, and we we... It's very intuitive to think of commands as something to obey, right? God says, do this or don't do that. Okay, we'll do. (laughs) Um, But all of Scripture is to be obeyed. It's promises, it's warnings, it's narratives. There's always a response that's that's, uh, intended for us. So applying the Bible well, especially the Old Testament, requires some knowledge, first of all, of how the whole Bible fits together. Because one thing we've all, we've all, if we've ever done kind of Bible reading and study in the Old Testament especially, there can be this challenge of, well, how, in fact, we're going to run into this, uh, this, this morning's sermon, we're going to deal with this with Israel uh, in Isaiah. How does this apply to me? I'm definitely in a different historical situation than the original people. I'm definitely in a different covenant than they were. And uh, all that really matters in terms of what it means for, for our lives and where we in Christ and the New Covenant stand in relation to other parts of Scripture. So I can't solve that all for you right now. Just broad, broadly, like I say, the better you get to know the whole Bible and, and read it over and over and hear it taught and preached, you'll, you'll just kind of get to have a better sense of how it's stitched together. If you want to read a book to kind of help fast track that, I, I really like uh, Christ from Beginning to End by Hunter and Wellam. That's also in the back of your handout. Guys who were in SLT this year just read it uh, this spring. So... Um, they can tell you what they think. But uh, Christ from Beginning to End by Hunter and Wellam is a helpful tool for giving you that, how the Bible sort of all fits together. And then wherever you are in the Bible, you have a much better sense of what, what to do, with it, how, to, how to get that over to us in the New Covenant. Um, and then another helpful tool for applying Scripture is just to ask the question of, what is this text trying to do? What is this text trying to do? Scripture itself gives us some of, supplies to us some of the ways that it's intending to work. And a, a, a classic verse of this, and we may not always think about this verse this way, is 2 Timothy 3.16. It's a really well-known verse. We often hear it as a proof text for the inspiration of Scripture, which it's a good one. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This is a really good manual for application. These are right there. There's four things that God through Paul is saying. Scripture is useful for these four things. Um, And there's a Puritan named William Perkins who draws from this verse and says, look, this is a helpful grid for application. This is a book on preaching. He says, here's four things to, to look at and ask ourselves. What truth is the text teaching or telling me to believe? Part of the response we should have to God's word is just believing and thinking certain things. Secondly, what erroneous belief is the text reproving me for? Thirdly, what unrighteous behavior is the text correcting me from or calling me away from? And fourthly, what righteous behavior is the text calling me or equipping me to do? Uh, So already you have positive teaching on beliefs, negative refutation of wrong beliefs, and then behaviors that need to be corrected and behaviors that are trained and encouraged. And there's other texts that supply other uses, like we heard I think Gary read last week uh, Romans 15.4. It talks about how scriptures are given for our encouragement uh, and endurance so that we might have hope. So that we could even add that too, that scripture is meant to encourage us and give us hope. Uh, and there are other uses as well, but that's a really helpful starting point just to ask, what is this text? What is God trying to do here in this text? If, uh, if there's a text that's especially meant to, to give hope and we take away from it, uh, a sense of burden and like, wow, I'm, I'm doing terribly. <laughs> we, we may be misapplying it, right? That's not really the intent of, of the text. Uh, any thoughts on, on studying or any questions from what I've said? All right, let's talk about memorizing, memorizing God's word. For many of us, this may be the most intimidating of the five ways. Um, We'll talk about benefits, objections, and practical advice. Uh, the benefits, first one I think, again, broken record, is feeding meditation. This is my favorite benefit of memorizing scripture is uh, it feeds meditation. You think about the Psalm 1 guy, right? He's going about his day. He heard something read in the synagogue. He's chewing on it. He's growing more and more deep in, in knowing and loving God. And his life is, is producing this, this kind of steadfast fruitfulness, this rootedness in God. And uh, you tell me, did that guy memorize anything? I mean, he, what is he chewing on all week if, if he didn't memorize at least a little bit of what he heard? Um, and Jesus exemplifies this as well, that his suit was to do the will of God, the Father who sent him. Um, it seems that he, he lived a life, that he was very much the Psalm 1 man, exemplar. Uh, this life that if you have this, the truth of God coursing in your veins, there's going to have to be some degree to which you've committed it to heart. And I think one of my favorite benefits of memorizing scripture is the way that it does enable you to be that, kind of bring that meditation through your day. Um, you really can't meditate on anything if you haven't memorized anything. Um, victory over sin and Satan is the second benefit. Uh, Psalm 119, 11, and 12. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. And then we also read Matthew 4, 4, where Jesus literally staves off satanic temptation by means of scripture that he had memorized. Okay, from Deuteronomy. Uh, so God's word is a powerful equipping for spiritual battle. It's the sword of the spirit. We, we heard about in the armor of God in Ephesians 6 last week. 
uh, in the so, so the whole scripture is just this rich treasury of truths and promises and warnings and all these things that are uh, just deeply uh, impactful weapons in this spiritual war that we face. But in the moment of the, we're in the weeds in day-to-day life fighting that battle, we only have the scriptures readily available to us that we have in mind. Now, we may, we may remember certain things in terms of paraphrase, and I'm not saying we can't remember concepts from Scripture and, and employ those. Totally valid, and that's what we're often doing too. But how powerful and direct and pointed is a memorized chunk of Scripture that we can call to mind in that moment? It's so, it's so powerful for fighting sin and temptation and Satan. Uh, the third use or benefit of memorization is it prepares us for ministry. Uh, would someone read Proverbs twenty five eleven, please? If someone has it memorized, you can use it. Minister to all of us right now. It's okay. You can read it. Yeah, Gary. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Thank you. Golden apples. What is going on? Well, I think the picture here is of jewelry that's been that's been very uh, artfully put together, and there's a piece of gold, and it's surrounded in silver. But this is a comparison for a, a word fitly spoken that the right word at the right time applied to the right situation relationally in real life, the fabric of life is is this precious, beautiful thing like a, a, a well crafted piece of jewelry. And, and we know this is the case in life, and not just scripture, but in so many ways, saying the right thing at the right time can be so valuable, can be so dangerous to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. But this is why having a kind of a library or a bank of scripture texts in mind can be so helpful when we're interacting with others, when we're um, having fellowship with other brothers and sisters in the body, or we're interacting with non-believers, and maybe there's an evangelism opportunity that falls into our lap to talk about Christ. Again, just having the right thing to say. And of course, the Holy Spirit needs to help guide us in that moment big time, right? None of us are genius enough to always know exactly what to say. We often feel so inadequate, and we are. But God, the, the Spirit, uses His sword. And the degree to which we've treasured up God's Word can really equip us to pull out the right thing at the right time uh, to minister to others. So, uh, let's talk about objections. None of us have any objections to memorizing Scripture. We all do it. Um, all day, every day. So we're good. Now, <laughs> the, fir- the, first, uh, the first question we might ask to weasel out of this is, do I have to? Do I have to? There's four other ways of interacting with Scripture. What if I'm listening and reading and meditating and studying, but I just, I can't, I, I don't want to memorize. I would say there is a stronger biblical argument to make that we ought to be memorizing than that we ought to be reading. Of course, you can't memorize without doing some reading. But again, because the vision the scripture gives us of a life saturated with God's word requires some degree of treasuring up some of God's word in our heart. That's what we're chewing on when we're meditating, unless we're sitting in front of a Bible. <clears throat> so the next question that you might have is, but I don't have a good memory. What if I don't have a good memory? Memorizing scriptures for people who are like memory superheroes that have this like photographic memory and all that. Well... Now, I know there are some people who have special problems, maybe sustained brain injuries that literally have a very constricted ability to memorize. So this, I don't want to be burdening anyone there. But um, the, 
other than that, this is no excuse. The, the fact that you don't, you know, you can't memorize. The, first of all, memory is kind of like a muscle. I know that as we grow older, we're gonna, it's gonna decline, but it is a muscle. You you start applying yourself to using it, it will get better. It will get more. You'll get better at doing this. And uh, we're, we don't all have the same gift and abilities to memorize. Not all of us are gonna memorize the same way and the same kind of quantity. But we all memorize stuff. We all memorize names. We memorize phone numbers. We memorize random facts. If you're a sports fan, don't you ever tell me you can't memorize scripture because you memorize the most irrelevant, arcane stats about players from 10 years ago. So if, if we care about things, and I want to even think about, it hit me, thinking about actors, either on the stage or on the screen, and it is incredible how much they memorize. And you never hear actors, have you ever heard an actor complaining about, about I, I, I had everything it took to cut it as an actor, but I just couldn't memorize the lines. I just couldn't do it. It seems like they all find a way to do it. <laughs> Even people who are on a regular series and they have an episode they have to make every week, they can memorize like the whole script in, like, for week by week. They can do that. They're probably not memorizing everybody's lines. They're memorizing all their lines and when they need to s- speak. Um, it's uh, and and people in generations before us, especially pre where kind of pre printing press or pre you know everyone having books all the time, is people memorized vast swaths of text. And like I said, people would come into the synagogue or the church and hear the reading, and they would they would memorize lots. So, in a lot of ways, it's a matter of desire and value. If if you were to be offered a ten million dollar contract to star in a two hour long feature length movie. Um, all you had to do is memorize your part of the script. You'd probably find a way to do it. And if that sounds too intimidating, if you're offered $10 million to star in a 30-second commercial, you just have to memorize your lines. You'd probably find a way to memorize your lines. It's a matter of perceived value. Memory takes work. It takes discipline. It takes a desire to know what's being memorized. Uh, and our willingness to do it is a, me- a measure of perceived value. And if we see the word of God as a precious, useful, life-giving treasure that it portrays itself to be, we will find a way to make some of that effort to memorize at least something. I'm not trying to burden anybody to memorize whole chapters or whatever. Some of you can do that and should do that. But a verse here or there, a verse that you find really helpful. Now, practically, uh, just a few practical points set aside, some time to designate to do it. Uh, once you've kind of repeated, you can read the text over and over. Once you get to the point where you can recite it without looking, um, great. You can go on and repeat it. I, I repeat 25 times before. I got this from Matt Wolf like forever ago, like 15 years ago. He said, that's how you move something from short-term memory to long-term is you have to repeat it 25 times. So I consider it learned when I've recited it 25 times. Um, now, that doesn't mean I don't have to review it. You have to then go back over future days and occasionally review and keep it fresh in your mind. But once you kind of have it in mind, you can be, we've talked about driving, you can be walking, you can be doing these kind of random uh, things, doing dishes or whatever, and you can re- repeat, do those repetitions that can really help. And guess what you do in the meantime while you're reciting and learning and reviewing? You're meditating. <laughs> we'll talk about that more in a second. Um, I'm a big fan of memorizing your way through a big chunk of text because it's great. You learn the context. It gives it so much easier than just like if you memorize 20 verses in a chapter versus 20 scattered verses throughout the Bible, 
I'd say it's far easier to learn the 20 that are connected because you get this kind of continuity of the context. Um, now, it is helpful to learn some kind of individual scattered ones because, again, those might be really helpful arrows for the spiritual battle. So just knowing your own sin temptations, knowing certain aspects of the character of God that are especially p- powerful for you to bear in mind, it is helpful to grab some, some gems that you need. But also, some of you maybe should consider grabbing a paragraph or a chapter of Scripture and challenging your way to, to work through it. Finally, memorize word for word. Do not... Uh, settle for the gist. <laughs> if you memorize the, if you, if your goal is the gist, or your goal is eh close, then, <laughs> then you're going to end up with a very fuzzy memorization, uh, a very very fuzzy copy. If your goal now mistakes are going to work their way in, it's it's inevitable. But if your goal is word for word perfect, whatever translation you're doing, then uh, you're much more likely to retain the the text kind of in its substance. So really, go for word for word. Don't, don't cut yourself slack on, yeah, just 90% accuracy or whatever. Um, so that's, that's it for memory. Any, uh, any questions about what I've said or other pieces of advice or challenges you've faced? Yeah, Smokey. Um, this is an encouraging thing um, that i found. As you go through a book, a person will be surprised how many words are there in the Mm-hmm. If those are written, they'll be like, wait a minute, I, I know this, I know Genesis 1 1, I know Ephesians 16, mm-hmm. I'm a husband, I know Ephesians 5 25, um, and, and pretty soon the, the um, book grows, and that isn't performance, it's because then there may be surrounding verses that you're like, you know what? Yeah. This is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So two really good points I got there. One was be encouraged. If you've been around, if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've been reading the Bible and hearing preaching in church, you've probably memorized a lot more than you realize. There's probably a lot of little nuggets you've you've picked up and you have already memorized. If you were in Awana as a kid, you've memorized a bunch of King James verses that they're all lodged somewhere deep in there. Um and also, Smokey, I like that vision of instead of like, oh, i got to memorize, because that's what good Christians do, right? Like turning, turning disciplines into a legalistic burden, that's always the danger. But more a sense of a greedy treasure hunter. When you memorize a text, it's yours. Like this sense of when you're going through the Bible and you, and you run into a gem and you're like, this is so powerful. This is so helpful. I see God in his glory. I see the wonder of his grace in Christ. Or I see this really practical nugget for living for him. Be greedy. Take it. It's your like you can make it yours, you can grab it, and there's no limit to like, it's a it's an unlimited shopping spree. Like to have that mindset of memorizing as a way to take it if you want it, take it, um, is a much better I think a much more biblical paradigm than better get memorizing or you're a bad Christian, you know that kind of thing. So yeah, Jason. Uh, yeah, two, two points. One's meant to be a segue to the next one, but the first one uh, kind of piggybacking off of what you Smokey said. It's really helpful too, especially if you're, you know, if you're sort of a person who reads multiple translations, 
having one primary and having one that you memorize off of being that primary one aids in it because you're mm-hmm. trying to bounce around different translations. The words get jumbled. It's hard yeah. to memorize. Yeah. The other point, too, is um, memorization, the act of memorization, isn't necessarily the hard part. It's the up. Yes. And that's where the meditation piece becomes so critical mm-hmm. because if you can constantly be thinking and applying and, and, and chewing on it, you're not having to have the 75 flashcards and kind of roll Yes, good point. So be consistent with translation. Do yourself a lot of help there. And secondly, um, yeah, the upkeep is a lot of work. And the up, the, what you're saying is if you're doing the upkeep meditatively, it's a lot more powerful than doing it absentmindedly. Because what we're doing is when, we, when we're memorizing a chunk, you're going, and then he says this because he's trying to clarify this potential misconception. And then he says this because he wants to drive. So you're actually like getting into the logic of really deep into the logic of the text and that is what helps you meditate and that's what helps you really learn it. So you know exactly what should come next. Yeah, Gary. Just as to state the obvious, um, from what Smokey said, you know a lot of passages, but you probably don't know where it's located. Mm, yeah. So make sure you memorize the address. Also. It's helpful. Memorize the address. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere it says something about, boy, thank thank God for Google, right? Because I'm always, I'm like, where's the verse in Psalms about a sun and a shield? You know, like, yeah, yeah. Another thing that uh, I found helpful is sometimes, like you have a passage that you have memorized, having just a little summary statement Hmm. to pack along with that, Hmm. that kind of helps bring that application uh, more quickly to you. So a little tag for your mind, how you file that text. That's good. That's helpful. Yeah, uh, Christina. Um, remembering that, I have a really good part. <laughs> but yes, Google. Thank God for Google. <laughs> but that, like, you know, my point is that I was going to go is like, all of these things are a gift from God. Like, mm-hmm. even like, and I know, like, I mean, the Holy Spirit's residing within us. And so, like, even as He brings the things that we have worked hard to memorize to mind or directs us in the way of which to memorize in the first place, mm-hmm. it gives us a heart and desire to memorize that. That's a gift from God that He's and He's worthy of our praise and that. Uh, in that opportunity to mm-hmm. dwell in scripture in that way and, um, and for scripture to dwell within us in that mm-hmm. way um, but I just know that like so many times in my life there's been like God has even through his Holy Spirit indwelling in us and giving us those opportunities to memorize or so in scripture in different areas he's brought to mind at the right time and mm-hmm. that that golden nugget that yeah. me through those, those difficult things so whether it's scripture in song or just song that references, you know, like truth mm-hmm. in, in yeah. a logical way or that scripture verse that I heard, you know, repeated over and over and over again until I was like, you know, preaching it at my kids or whatever yeah, yeah. it is, you know, it's like, um, that those things are, you know, like in the thick of the moment, that's, you know, God uses that in, yeah. in a way that, you know, it's like, is, is beyond us. Um, yeah. That's very true. These are all tools in God's gracious hand, both to draw us to memorize and then to use it's a sword of the spirit, right? He uses these things. He brings them out in the needed time and way. Yeah, Tyler, you have the last word here. Okay, yeah, just one thought is, um, you know, not only does memorization lead to meditation, like we've talked about, but I think meditation and study also can really lead to memorization. Mm-hmm. So I found, like, even just if I'm studying a passage, getting ready to teach or something, mm-hmm. or just thinking a lot about a passage... I'm like almost there mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. a week of, of studying. So that just um, 
I don't know, even thinking about it that way could maybe take some of the pressure. Not not to negate having to do the work yeah. just memorized at times too. But um, but I think even starting with meditating on a passage, having a note card that you're not even trying to memorize necessarily, but just meditating on, thinking about, studying, praying about, I think the memorization will come very, very naturally. Yeah. And yeah. It still take work to solidify, but... Mm-hmm. You've, you're already so much of the way there. Yeah, and maybe if we've had experiences of memorization that was like, again, like, I'm not trying to criticize like Awana, but maybe some kind of program where we're like, okay, we got to like, mem- you know, some kind of structured, accountable thing. We may have taken to thinking memorization as like just this duty to kind of grit your teeth and grind through. But you're saying like it, it, there's a sense in which if we're already Psalm wanting it, kind of <laughs> memorization is kind of just a real short step from there, right? And this sense of you, that sense of hunger of like, I just want to know this. Like it really helps. Good, good thoughts all around. Let's go and talk about meditating. We've talked about it already a lot because it's kind of the terminus that all these arrows keep pointing to. But uh, we've, we've seen it in Psalm 1, 1 to 3, this vision of kind of all day, all night meditation on uh, Scripture. It's echoed elsewhere. Psalm 119.97 that Smokey uh, preached through in an evening service recently. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Um, Joshua 1.8, God says this to Joshua, Do this, be this guy, Joshua, this is how you succeed uh, Moses and lead the people. You be a man like the Psalm 119.97 guy who loves the, the, the law and meditates on it every day. Uh, Psalm 77.11 and 12, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And uh, this is helpful. You know, there are some texts about meditating on the law. I think we can, we can think of the law as simply the do's and don'ts. It's much broader. Mick Smokey made this point last Sunday night. It's the teaching or instruction of God. Certainly you have the Pentateuch, but everything, there's a lot more than do's and don'ts in the Pentateuch. And even in all of scripture, we have the teaching of the Lord. And uh, part of what he teaches us is his works in the past, just meditating on the mighty works of salvation. And in last week's sermon, we heard about this, that this is part of what, what fuels our, our worship, our response of worship is meditating on his works of salvation. Um, now, when we talk about meditation, we do need to distinguish between meditation that stems from, from say, like Buddhism, kind of Eastern meditation, um, and biblical meditation, which is Eastern as well, it's Near Eastern. But um, biblical meditation is very different than, you know, it's become popular in recent decades here in the West, is kind of bringing these, some of these kind of Eastern meditation methods over. And um, the basic idea, as far as I understand it, I'm not an expert, but Eastern meditation is more about emptying, and biblical meditation is about filling. Okay? So Eastern meditation would, would be about things like getting beyond thought getting beyond transcending thought. Whereas biblical meditation is like, no, we want to get deep into thought. We want to go like deep into truth with our thoughts. Um, so there's, a, there's content in biblical meditation. That's the key distinction is there's content. It's not just a kind of emptying and a uh, getting beyond thought kind of a thing. And uh, so basically meditation in this sense is deep reflection or contemplation. And there's a Puritan named Edmund Calamy that describes it like this. He says, A true meditation is when a man doth so meditate of Christ as to get his heart inflamed with the love of Christ. So meditate of the truths of God as to be transformed into them 
and some meditate of sin as to get his heart to hate sin. End quote. And uh, I like this description because it brings into focus what I think is the the benefit, the main benefit of meditation, which is it brings the truth of Scripture home to our hearts, our will, our affections in a way that simply, that it goes beyond just simply intellectual understanding. I think we've all probably had the experience of knowing these weighty and wonderful truths of the Bible about God and His grace in Christ. We can know these in an intellectual way. And we can agree with them in a merely intellectual way. But we've just kind of realized it's not gone anywhere beyond that. Uh, and we go like, I mean, I, I'm sometimes haunted by, do I really believe in hell? <laughs> do I really believe in heaven? Like, I agree with these doctrines, but how much of my day is the weight of these truths? Or do I really f- believe that God is eternal and unchanging and sovereign over all things? Like, to what degree does that actually penetrate beyond my intellect and, and pervade my life? Like, weigh on me. That's the kind of thing. So Calumny says... Do you want to get your heart not just to see this act and go, that's sin, but to hate, to loathe sin? Or to see Christ and be like, I know Christ loves me and gave himself for me. Or to just be kind of weighed down with this sense of the depth of Christ's love for me and saving me. Uh, There's a sense that meditation really um, facilitates and makes that happen. It it makes the truth of God grip our affections and our will. So... um, yeah, meditation is great. It's really helpful for that. Now, uh, what are some of the bi- biggest difficulties we have in meditating on God's Word? The wandering minds. Oh, yes. I'm sure that's probably the timeless perennial issue is because we're trying to go deep, but our minds are like, man, what about, you know, squirrel? <laughs> like, uh, we all know that can go, it can go askew very quickly. Uh, we could probably say the same with all the other ones is just making the time to do it, just carving out time. And to kind of to put those two points together, it has to be a certain kind of time. Uh, this is not probably the thing we're doing while we're washing dishes. It could be. Um, it's probably not the thing we're doing while we're watching, while we're like listening to a podcast or something like that. Um, there can be, we can get into meditating on scripture in this sort of uh in this sort of moments of, of other life. It's not like you're only just sitting there. Uh, truly, when we're walking around or driving there, we could be meditating. But it is something that really requires the ability to, to focus. And uh, one thing that I think might be helpful is just maybe there are tools that we can help us do this. We don't just have to be sitting and thinking. That could be good. But there are actually ways, kind of, kind of uh, tools and ways that we can make this happen. So any thoughts? Has anyone found anything helpful for facilitating meditation on God's word. Yeah, Smokey. First of all, what did Patty say? I was messing with the wandering mind. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) One thing I I find, and I think even the word carries the idea of murmuring. Uh Uh-huh. And muttering and that kind of thing. I, I have a hard time doing this if I'm not speaking words. Um, so often the, the form it's going to take is, is communing with God by instead of maybe asking or assuming it's going to be talking about mm-hmm. a passage 
Um, so it can kind of overlap in the prayer, but it's it's um, nevertheless a, a verbal form because if I just try and sit with this quiet position with absolutely nothing else going on. Uh, Nap time. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, just this. Yeah, exactly. It's like I can't, Lord, I can't stay with it. And I want to, belong to, um, unless I'm drinking an extremely strong espresso. Mm. It's, so I find that doing that. Yeah. Very good point. It can be verbal. It can be talking to ourselves. It can be imaginarily like teaching it like to ourselves. You know, sometimes like if we're mad at someone and we're going and we're like, I'll, I'll show you, you know, like this kind of, we like imagine talking to over like you could do that to yourself. Talk, you know, not in an angry, bitter way. Talk, you know, sort of like mumble it to yourself. Because you're right. I think there's actually, I've heard that too. I haven't looked into it, but there's even a verbal, there's actually a, it has to do with muttering or mumbling. Uh, okay. We got John. I think I saw you hand uh, when I need to, when I want to focus extra on something I'm reading, I like reading it and listening to someone read it at the same time. Okay. So combines two of the senses. Yeah, good. So hearing it and reading it can be very helpful for feeding meditation. Yeah, uh, Jason, and I'll go Wesley. I can say uh, for me, physical activity, like a walk, uh-huh. is really helpful. I'm, I'm not able to be distracted when I'm outside or doing something along those lines. Mm-hmm. So just helps kind of keep the activity you're trying to do for, uh, at the forefront. Yeah, yeah, it's just something like a walk. I think Didi mentioned that last week, too. Yeah, Wesley? Yeah, it just says when, when I read, if I actually speak it myself, mm-hmm. too. So that's, you know, you're getting to a quiet place where there's nobody around. Mm-hmm. Your car. Your car. You know, there's nobody No one thinks you're around. crazy in there. So yeah. if I read it out loud and I can hear it and see yeah. it, it, it helps. Yeah. Uh, speaking out loud is good for scripture memory review too by the way yeah I think I saw Christina I wrote Christina and Michelle and then we'll, we'll kind of close it. oh I was thinking like you know like one yeah even verbally processing with somebody else like mm-hmm. you know, what you're thinking about meditating on it yeah and, and also like we uh, especially in education we allow for kids to have like a fidget spinner or something that they are like doing with their hands in order to engage their brain mm. and some of us need that you know, yeah like you know like I, I play little games, you know, while I'm meditating because mm-hmm. otherwise I am more easily distracted. So, like, sometimes, like, I need to distract one part of my brain in order to... Mm, yeah. And that's just, like, that's me. It's yeah, like that's good. Else, but it's just allowing for that. Yeah. In the adult world as well. Right, right, right. So it, whatever it takes to sort of maybe kind of zone zone into it sort of thing. Maybe not zone in. Zone out of other things to zone into it. Yeah, speaking not just yourself but to others. Uh, Michelle, would you have something? It, it really ties in a lot with what everyone's saying, but instrumental music mm. is me. Um, just because then I'm not distracted by a car that goes by or, you know, whatever. It just kind of gets me in that. So. That's cool. Yeah, uh, writing... Journaling, like journaling your response to the text. I, I, one thing I find helpful is writing a prayer in response to the verse um, is really helpful. So, and this gets into kind of next week, but meditation really segues into prayer, right? If you're just, if you're just stewing on God's word, I hope it's going to drive us to kind of talk to him about it. Uh, so that, all these things can be really helpful. So um, with that, just for the sake of time, we're over a little bit. So we'll draw it to a close. We've seen... Uh, reading, studying, memorizing, meditating. I hope, by God's grace, this all feeds our 
not only with practical tools, but just in flames of desire to meet with him. So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for so richly revealing yourself to us in Christ and in the pages of Scripture. And we pray that we would have the heart of uh, the greedy treasure hunter that goes and and reads and uh, stays long on the the mountain, as it were, hearing from you and um, bringing your words with us through the day. And we pray that you'd make us more like Christ and assure us of the, the bounty of your grace and salvation. Make us fruitful for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.